Well, it's an honor to be with you this morning. I can't begin to tell you the connections I have with this place. It feels like home in so many ways. My wife's home church and always will be, and her family. Uh, we had four children come through and were loved and cared for in your nursery. My parents found uh, a loving community here in their retirement years. And uh, this is in many ways very much home. Uh, Forty years ago or so, I did, I spoke at a weekend. We called it something different, but it's the same thing, I'm guessing, maybe. And wow. And this church, uh, for all my career, almost a full career now, uh, has, by their generous gifts to Tennessee Baptist Mission Board, allowed me to follow out my calling to college students. I'm amazed every day. No one's more surprised than I am. Thank you very much. For the way you minister to this community, for the way you minister beyond this community, your state, and around the world, I thank you and I commend you for being a church who loves and who cares and who shares and who gives boxes full of love and care to the community. So this morning, I thank you for so many things and I just tell you how honored I am to be here with you. Uh, sometimes you stand in front of people you know know you too well. Oh my, should be a little uncomfortable with that. I, there are people in the room, I've stood before them and taught them since the mid-70s. That's a scary thought, but I'm honored to be with you this morning. And so be gracious as we come together uh, to, um, to look to what God has to say to us this morning. Let's pray this morning. Father, we feel so privileged to come into your presence as your people into this place where for so many years God has been made real lives have been changed the word has been shared and you have fulfilled your promise to send the Holy Spirit to change people's lives this morning we ask that you be here again that you open our hearts to the word you would have us hear, and that you make us more like your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to move from John 3, where you spent the last many hours, to John 4. Going to keep it simple. You just flip over one page to a story. I'm going to, I'm going to spend a little time in 42 verses this morning. Now, that's a little scary. I know, don't be scared. At Belmont, where I've taught for over the last 20 years, I, I'll sometimes teach three books of the Bible in 75 minutes, so this will work. I promise, stick with me. We'll be okay. But this amazing story in chapter 4 of John about traveling, about strangers, about the surprise of a conversation where God makes clear in this word that uh, he's available to all. And we, we step into this amazing uh, story in verse 1 of chapter 4 um, where uh, Jesus uh, encounters this woman. And so this morning, uh, just walk with me this morning as we, as we work, work through, this, through this amazing parable, this amazing uh, narrative this morning. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard Jesus is making baptizing more disciples than John. Oh, goodness, although 
um, although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples, then he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria, and so he came to, the, uh, to a Samaritan city named Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired, out from his journey, was sitting by the well, and it was about noon. If you write much, you see what a nice little setup that is. We get a transition from a place and a conversation to a new place in conversation. We get a whole set of information laid out for us, so we're ready for this story, for this narrative. Uh, we're, we're, we've been in a tough conversation with John's people, and now Jesus is headed back to Galilee, from, from Judea up to Galilee, which is home. He's got to go through Samaria. You know that old conversation from Sunday school where Samaria is between Judea and Galilee, and you can go around or you can go through. And they go through, and they're tired, and they're needing food. And, and the guys say, hey, Jesus, have a seat. We're going to go get something to eat. It's complicated. We, we don't want to miss the tension in this conversation. It's, it's not our home. It's, it's a foreign land. Uh, it's, we're uncomfortable with these people, these Samaritans. They're not us. They're not our people. But we're going to go into a town we don't know and get some food, and you sit here. We'll be back. And it was about noon, the heat of an eastern Mediterranean day, the setup for the story. In verse 7, we're, we're told a, a, a new character enters our story. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples, you know, they'd gone into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman, a Samaritan, Jews don't share things in common with Samaritans. Here's this woman. Jesus is sitting by the well. He's tired. He's hungry. Apparently, he's thirsty. And this one woman walks into our scene this morning. And, and, she, and, and she just, she doesn't greet. We're not told that she does. But Jesus speaks to her. And he just says something simple. He said, I'd, I'd like a drink of water. She steps into the tension of the story. She steps in uh, to the, the distance between uh, a man and a woman, that tension, the distance between a Samaritan and Jew, that woman, the, the, uh, the, the awkwardness of a conversation, uh, in, apparently just the two of them in, by the well that Jacob had left centuries before for his people in Samaria. The ethnic tension, the religious tension, because the Samaritans didn't follow the religion of the Jews strictly. Uh, they worshiped somewhere else. They, they only accepted the Torah, not the rest of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, it's, a, it's a very tense conversation as we sit here by Mount Ebal in this, in this uh, valley, looking across toward Gerizim, where the, the Samaritans did. Oh, there's tension in this story. Don't miss it. And this woman walks up, and she's, she's by herself. We're going to feel in the story the, 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 the loneliness that's in this woman's life. I think we, we feel that as we move on in this story. Loneliness is a, it's a hard thing. Have you had loneliness in your life? There's uh, researchers, you know, they look for things to research. If you're a researcher, you, gotta have, you want to write a PhD, you've got to have something to, you, some of you have done that. 
got to figure out what are you going to write about. And the researchers, they're working on loneliness, researching isolation. What does it do to us to be lonely? So in the recent last couple of years, we've had research come out that says to be chronically lonely is as damaging to us, our bodies, and our souls as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now, I'm not recommending 15 cigarettes a day. But the stark power of that statement, like to be really lonely, is hard on us. The research says it causes cognitive decline. Uh, it causes depression to be lonely. It causes heart disease to be lonely. It causes heart disease. That's what the research shows. It causes high blood pressure. It, 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 it weakens our immune system to be lonely. That's some pretty strong result from research, don't you think? And here's this woman who steps into our story and she feels like a loner. She's by herself. She's alone. We learn more, we learn more about her soon. We, we don't do social interaction as well as we ought to sometimes. Uh, we work with young people who are working on it. They want to have, you want to have friends, right? You want to have relationships. In my class this Thursday at Belmont, I was uh, working our way through wisdom literature. We're talking about how do you live life well, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And a 19-year-old young man said, you know, when I was a kid, with a little grief in his voice, a 19-year-old young man with a little grief in his voice said, you know, when I was a kid, we played together. We we ran, ran around with my buddies all the time and we played outside and we were in each other's houses when I was a kid. And, and he said, you know, today, today we don't do that because he said, we do this. On Thursday, Blake said, we do this. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan, man. Give me the technology. I want to make life work easier. But he said, we do this. We don't play. We don't connect. I don't have my buddies the way I used to have my buddies. We, we live in a world that's full of people in isolation and aloneness. Into this story walks this alone woman. And I, just, I wonder how much her isolation is part of this story. Now, if she had said to Jesus, sure, here's some water, <laughs> we'd have been done. It'd have been a really short narrative, right? She could have said, oh, sure, here. That's not what happened. We don't get that, we don't get that short of a story. Uh, she says, uh, you know, why, why are you asking, are you kidding me? This is, I don't think this is a church play. I think this is a story between, between Jesus and this woman, and it's full of tension and irony and, and uh, a little conflict, if you read it, he says, could you give me a drink of water? And she says, who are you asking me for a drink of water, Mr. Jew Traveler? I don't, who are you? There's tension in this story. Why are you asking me for water? Well, she say, Jesus says in verse 10, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and flocks drank from it? Oh my. 
So she says, why are you asking me? He says, you wouldn't give me a hard time if you knew who I was. You'd ask me for water. She says, hey, buddy, you don't even have a bucket or a rope. It's a deep well. Where are you going to get water? He says, you don't know who I am, do you? She doesn't. We do. You know, we've got the book. We know who he is. We know who she is. She doesn't know. That's what makes it a good story. I love to talk to strangers. I don't know if that's your sport or not. My kids made them crazy. You know, oh, dad's going to talk to somebody again. Well, sorry. Come on. Here we go. Laurie Santos at Yale, who writes, you may have been reading her stuff. It's wonderful stuff about how to have a happy life. She says, one thing you got to learn is how to talk to strangers. The research, the research shows that if, if you're a happy person, you've probably learned how to talk to strangers. And that's why I talk to everybody everywhere I go. I try not to do it in elevators. I know that's uncomfortable. But I, everywhere else, I talk to everybody. And now, now New York, I love New York City. I, uh, I've been taking people to New York City since 84. My kids have lived in New York City. I, I don't know how many months of my life I've spent in New York City. In New York City, on the street, is like the Mount Everest of talking to strangers. I love it. Fantastic. And so I can't wait to get there. Yeah, sorry. To apologize to my family. Going to talk to strangers on the street in New York City. is fantastic. You know, we're in the South. We're like, you know, those people in New York. Well, yeah, come on. They live in New York. There are 8 million people. You've got to figure out how to navigate it. But if you can have a conversation with somebody in New York on the street, a stranger, and have them walk away smiling, win. Live for it. Several years ago, a couple of daughters were living there, and, and I, when I got in town early, and, and uh, you know, there's, well, there's no better idea if you're in, in New York with a little extra time. You got Levain cookie. Let's just say Levain cookie. And so I'm, I'm in Levain's original little shop at 74th in Amsterdam, and some of you have been in there. It's, it's amazing bakery, three chairs. There are three chairs. They're in the window. It's, it's below ground. You walk down into Levain's little bakery, and there are three stools in the window, and I got my cookie. I got an hour of free time, and I'm on one of the three stools in Levain's bakery on 74th at Amsterdam in Manhattan. Just talk to stranger time. But I didn't have to start it. Somebody else started it. And if you can't have a conversation over a cookie... In LaVeigne's, you can't have a conversation. So this, this woman sitting here, she's like, what'd you get? Like a double chocolate, you know, coffee. And we have this conversation. Like, what are you doing in town? I'm here to visit my daughters. Like, what do you do? I live here. I teach at Juilliard. She teaches at Juilliard. And I said, oh, you're a musician. You're a musician. No, I'm not a musician. I, I, I teach at Juilliard, and I teach actors how to not have their regional dialect any longer. I mean, if you're going to be on Broadway, you know, you can't sound like Cock County. You just, it's not, <laughs> unless you're in that role. You got to be in that role. And she said, where's home for you? And I said, well, Memphis is home for me. You know, but East Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, Memphis. She said, that's interesting. You don't have a lot of regional dialect, but you still have your peans. You know, my pen. <laughs> Apparently, most of North America has a pen. 
Not you and me. We got pins. And they're right there in their pockets. She said, you still have your pins. It was a delightful conversation. The cookie was excellent. It was still warm. I love to talk to strangers. But it's a discipline. It's a developed sport, skill. But it makes me happy. Here we have two strangers, and we're going to see how it's going to go, right? Jesus starts the conversation. Give me some water. She's a little feisty. She pushes back a little bit, you know? And so Jesus knows how to have the conversation, and we get to see where it goes. You know, uh, sometimes you, you look at these beautiful young people right here, and you're like, I don't know how to talk to them. I'm, I've learned they can hear right past the earbuds, so just talk a little louder. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to get on Duolingo and study young talk. You don't have to, you know, don't, don't check Urban Dictionary. That's not a good idea. Just sit down face-to-face -face with a young person or in the car. It's the best if you can get them in the car, you know, and then you just start a conversation, and then you pay attention, and then you listen. Not hard. We better do it because they're leaders now and they're leaders tomorrow. We better do it. We got to have the conversation. Here's this Samaritan woman. She's ready for this conversation. She's interesting. She's not intimidated by men, is she? We find out later she's been married to several. She knows men. She's not intimidated. I don't think there's anybody else in the New Testament talks back to Jesus like this. Maybe Martha and Mary? But here's this woman talking, kind of talking back to Jesus. And he says, you know, if you, under, if you knew who I was, you, you'd ask water to me. She misunderstands. She thinks he's talking about, you know, water. John's full of misunderstandings. Full of misunderstandings. Nicodemus thought he had to head back into his mother. And Jesus uh, said this temple's going to be destroyed. And, and the people around his disciples thought he's talking about the temple temple. He's talking about this temple. And, uh, you know, Jesus is talking about bread. And people are like, they're getting a fork. You know, where's my butter? We're going to, no, 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 bread. We need, we need bread in life. John's full of misunderstandings. She says, Mr., I don't see your bucket. This thing's deep. And he says, if you just knew the water I had, if you just knew the water I had, you'd ask for it. But she misunderstands. Water. Mike Barton and I are from Memphis, you know, we'll, we just, we're always from Memphis. I don't know how to explain that to you. I'm like an ambassador from Memphis. Nobody understands Memphis. But under Memphis, there's this surprise. It's water. There's this amazing aquifer under Memphis. They don't have to drink the river like the rest of us do. They drink from the aquifer. There's water down there. 350 feet below the sand and clay of the Mid-South is this aquifer. And hydrologists at the University of Memphis say the water that's there right now has been there 2,000 years. It's amazing water. Unbelievable water. They don't tell you because they don't want to share. They don't want you running a pipe over there from East Tennessee to get it. That's their water. It's amazing. She thinks he's saying, I'd get you some spring water, some living water. He's like, no, no, living water of life is what I want to give you. John's full of symbols. They they, they help us understand the mysteries of the gospel. It's full, you know, symbols of bread and water and birth and, and, and word and light. 
and water. It's this symbol that helps us understand things that are difficult for us to explain. The symbol, this symbol, this water symbol, it talks about our, it's really a response, a metaphor for the response to the empty dryness we know in life. The need to have this thirst quenched. We're empty, we're dry. Ann Lemke wrote a book in 17 called Dopamine Nation where she addresses, you know, dopamine, that little neurotransmitter that makes us feel pleasure in life. It helps us learn, but mostly it's about pleasure. And she writes this book about how because our life is so full of affluence and plenty, that we're, we're just pressing that happy button all the time and it just is ruining our lives. We do it with food, we do it with chemicals, we do the addictions, we, we, we do it with our, our devices, we're just half pushing that happy button all the time and it's ruining our lives and we, and we do it because we're so empty and dry. And Jesus says, if you just knew who I was, you'd offer me, you'd ask me for water. And he says, are you greater? She says, are you greater? And he's like, no, 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 you're missing the point. Jesus said, or everyone who drinks of the water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Oh, man, I want that spring of gushing water in my life. I don't want to do this. I want this. Gushing. And the woman says, sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here. She's like, okay, good, that'd be awesome. I'm tired of coming here in the heat of the day by myself to draw this water a long way from my house. And he says, go back and get your husband and then come back. And they have that awkward exchange like, well, yeah. And he's like, and and he knows her. He says, I know about you. You've had all this. You've had many husbands. And then she says, oh, oh, so you're a prophet, huh? Oh, great, a prophet, uh, you know, and she's still kind of feisty. He says, oh, and, and, and if you're a minister, or you tell me about your ministry, you've had this conversation on the airplane, people are like, oh, you're a minister, then let me ask you this question. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I wish I hadn't told you. She says, oh, you're a prophet, so let me ask you this question. Well, are we supposed to worship on Gerasim or back at, uh, back at Zion? Because that's who you ask a prophet. You ask them questions that they're going to answer. And he says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You're going to worship what you do. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know. The hour is coming that now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. That's how they're going to do it. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And she says, I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, I'm going to talk to him about it. He'll proclaim all things to us. Wow. When he comes. And what does Jesus say? He says, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. If you're the Jewish reader of this or the Christian reader who's read Exodus 3, and he says, I am he. 
And you think back to when Moses and God were at the bush and Moses said, what am I going to tell them? And God says, just tell them I am has sent you. Jesus says, I am he. It couldn't be a stronger statement. I am he. I am the bread. I am the life. I am the shepherd. I am he. People are dry. They are empty. Sometimes it's us. We need to be changed. Sometimes our souls, even those who know him, we get our lives get empty and far from him, and we just need that drink of water, that gushing well of water in us. Water enough to wash away our sin. Water enough to quench our sadness. Water enough to soak our loneliness. Our rebellion, our distance from him needs to be filled with water and we need to be in his presence. A conversation with a stranger. A woman who's all of us, who's distant and far and lonely and frustrated and making her daily walk to that well to get more water and she's suddenly interrupted by one who has an answer. He has an answer. What a wonderful surprise. What a gift from a stranger. Hey, lady, hang on. It's hard to explain to you what I have for you. We're not, she wasn't expecting it, but I've got something for you that's better than what you're gonna haul back to the house. And it's a wellspring. It's a thorough cleansing a cooling, soaking for a life that'll, that needs so much transformation. You could be a new person. You could be a transformed person. It's hard to hear it. She's so busy. She's got this long walk. It's hard to stop. We think we get busy in our every day and we wonder if there's any way out. And this woman probably wasn't going to find a way out if she hadn't had that unexpected conversation with the stranger at the well. We know what happened. She runs back to the house to get her people. People come and hear from Jesus. And in Acts 10, Acts 8, we hear about Stephen going to Samaria and people turn to the gospel because this woman stood by the well with Jesus several years before and heard the truth. This water has changing, cleansing power. This morning, you may be looking for those kinds of changes. Maybe there's loneliness in your life and you're thinking, I have tried everything. My life feels the same. Another trudging walk to the well. Your relationships may be out of kilter. Your calling, your purpose may have disappeared. Your, your work may be a challenge. Your family may be a challenge. Jesus says to all of that, hey, check out this water. This will change your life. Father, this morning, we read this ancient story 
from, from a culture we, we don't quite know, and yet even in that distance we see real people with real needs, and we see a Savior who loves and responds and steps across that chasm to find this woman as he waits to find us today. Open our hearts, open our minds to you. Step into our lives this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.